1: It's the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.
0: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another Mike Missanelli podcast. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. Get that Bet Rivers app. You're gonna make all your bets. Some prop bets coming up, which will be really interesting for you. If you like the Eagles, give it one and a half, don't bet the Chiefs. So if you like the Eagles, one and a half, you go with that. You want to bet it on the money line? You you think they're gonna win by two touchdowns? You can get all these bets on the Bet Rivers app. And, and just to let you know that, stay tuned because later in the week, BetRivers is going to release the Mike Massanelli parlay, which is uh, three uh, selections that I like in a parlay that I think have a really good chance of hitting, and you got to make some plus money on that. Okay, episode number fifty-two of the Mike Massanelli podcast, Wednesday, February eighth, as we get closer and closer to the Super Bowl with the Eagles and the Chiefs. So, what we thought we would do today. Now uh, you know we are all lucky enough, and most of us are lucky enough in our lifetime to have been on the scene for four Super Bowls. Now, okay, it's not the Patriots, but it ain't bad when you think about it that way. Maybe there should be more, but four is better than zero, and a lot of cities have zero. So I'll take the four. And what we decided to do today would be to compare the teams and the rosters, the quarterbacks, the skill players, the defense of all four Eagle Super Bowl teams. So let's go back. To the first one, which is the 1980 Eagles, if we can remember that far, the 1980 Eagles uh, were under Dick Vermeil got to the Super Bowl and kind of reinvigorated football in this town. They went 12 and four that year. They started off winning 11 of the first 12 games. They wound up losing three of their last four, so they didn't go into the playoffs with a head of steam. Uh, and, of course, you know what happened in, in, in the Super Bowl where they, they lost to the Raiders. Um, the notion is that the players are so much better today. They're so much faster. There's so much more excitement. The pass uh, uh, passing game much better. Uh, it is a passing league and, and all that stuff. So, I you know, you may have to look at the 1980 team uh, with a little bit of a, a caveat, right? I mean, maybe it wasn't as good athletically. But as you look back at the 1980 team, and for those young enough not to remember it, it was a pretty good team. So let's go over the starters, the offensive starters first. Ron Jaworski was your quarterback, threw for 3,500 yards that year and 27 touchdowns. Did uh, get intercepted 12 times. The running back one of the greatest of all time. Wilbur Montgomery was the running back. Uh, Leroy Harris was the fullback when they put two back sets in back then. Harold Carmichael and Charles Smith were the starting wide receivers. Keith Krefley, a pretty good tight end, although he had only 30 catches back then. It's funny because we think he he was pretty solid. He only had 30 catches. Uh, Harold Carmichael had 48 catches. Charlie Smith had 47 catches. So it wasn't exactly a potent offense. Wilbur Montgomery, in fact, only rushed for 778 yards. Their uh, offensive line was pretty good. And and I think the whole thing revolved around the offensive line at that time. Stan Walters at left tackle. Uh, 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 Petey Perot was the left guard. Guy Morris was the center. They had acquired an old San Francisco veteran named Woody Peoples. He played right guard. And Jerry Sizemore was a perennial all-pro right tackle. On defense, you had... They played a 3-4 back then, if you remember. Dennis Harrison, left defensive end. The nose tackle was Charlie Johnson. The right end was Carl Hairston. And then their linebackers were pretty solid. John Bunning, Bill Berge, Frank Lemaster, Jerry Robinson. You notice they had three white linebackers back then? I don't know if that's going to happen today. All due respect, the cornerbacks were really good. Roynell Young, Herm Edwards. The safeties were really good. Randy Logan was a solid safety, and Breinerd Wilson was the free safety. So that was your starting team back then. And, and if you look at the team, I mean, they were efficient. They got to the Super Bowl. Uh, some of their, their backup players who were uh, uh, important that year, uh, Billy Camfield, uh Al Chesley, uh, the linebacker, Ken Clark, if you remember him at nose tackle. Uh, there was, uh, uh, Scott Fitsky, a backup wide receiver from Penn state. The kickers were Tony Franklin. And, um, the punter was, uh, Oh God, who was the punter? Uh, uh the guy from uh, South Carolina was the punter. And I can't, I can't remember his name right now. Mike, uh, but uh, Mark
2: Runniger, Runniger.
0: No, yeah, that's right. It was Max Runniger. Max Runniger was the punter. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. So, uh, uh, you know they had a they had a decent team. Wally Henry, You remember Wally Henry? He was the kick returner back then. It was Louis Giamona who happened to be the son, su- yeah. uh, the, the, the nephew of Dick Vermeil. So <laughs> it was a charming team. But uh, you know, in the overall scope of things, they probably weren't as good as some of the teams that we're going to talk about now. Now, if you want to uh, go to all the Super Bowls, all we're doing is teams made the Super Bowl. There is a chance that the teams under Buddy Ryan, which just never got it done, had enough talent to get it done and just underachieved. So that era of football in the 90-91, 92 era, it was notable. They didn't get to the Super Bowl, so we're not going to evaluate them. So let's move now to the team that gets in the modern day to the Super Bowl. 2004, uh, Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, to refresh your memory, uh, they they lost to the uh, – in 2020, in 20, uh, Andy Reid comes in, builds the team. So 2001, they get to the uh, the NFC title game. They lose to the Rams. We all looked at that as, yeah, you know, they weren't ready to beat the Rams. The Rams were probably better. Vermeil coached that team as well. 2002 was the year. And they didn't get it done losing to Tampa Bay, the last football game event at Veterans Stadium, a heartbreak city, maybe the number one heartbreak in the history of Philadelphia sports. And in 2003, with McNabb all banged up, they lose to the Carolina Panthers at home. So we're talking about by the time they got to 2004, but pretty disappointing era in that they just did, couldn't knock down the door. So in the offseason, after they lose to Carolina, they add T.O. They add Javon Curse, They bring back Jeremiah Trotter, who they traded away. They signed to Honey Jones. That team wound up having 10 pro bowlers and a 13-3 and record. So here are your starters. McNabb, Westbrook, Freddie Mitchell, T.O., Todd Pinkston, Chad Lewis. Sometimes they had the fullback in there, and the fullback was um, Josh uh, Parry, and then Thomas Tepay got in there when they went double backfield. Um, the the offensive line. Trey Thomas and John Runyon were the tackles, all pro. But then they had Artis Hicks, Hank Fraley, Jermaine Mayberry in the middle not great but certainly the tackles on that team made them pretty good that year on defense four three the ends javon curse Derek burgess Corey simon and darwin walker were the tackles the linebackers mark Simino who wasn't very good but trotter had a big year and the jones was okay so the linebackers yeah okay not not great uh uh but their defensive backfield was really good. Lito Shepard, Sheldon Brown, the corners. Michael Lewis and Brian Dawkins, the safeties. Very solid. The kickers, David Akers and Dirk Johnson, the depth players. Uh, players like Ike Reese on special teams. Quentin Michael. Uh, L.J. Smith is a tight end. Dorsey Levens as the backup running back. J.R. Reed who made some good plays on defense and return kicks. Thomas DePay, as I mentioned before were some of the depth players on that team. Pretty solid team. Uh, McNabb that year, 3,875 yards he threw for. 31 touchdowns to eight interceptions. He rushed 41 times for 220 yards. Westbrook coming into his zone as a wide receiver, rushed for 812 with three TDs, but caught 73 passes for 703 yards and six touchdowns. A major weapon for Donovan McNabb that year. And, of course, T.O., 14 games before he got hurt, 77 catches with 1,200 yards on those 77 catches and 14 touchdowns. And Todd Pinkston added 36 catches for 676 yards. They got production out of the wide receiver spot. On defense, they didn't sack the quarterback that many times. Curse led the, the team with seven and a half sacks. Derek Burgess on the other side only had two and a half sacks that year. But Corey Simon and Darwin Walker in the middle combined for 10 sacks that year. All right, so um, let's bring Darren in. Darren, uh, let's compare the first two teams we went over, the 1980 Super Bowl team, the 2004 Super Bowl team. Who wins?
2: So I I think there's two areas that I give the nod or the edge, rather, to the 1980 team. That's running back. uh, Wilbert Montgomery, to me, I still think is the best running back, the organization, uh, or he's certainly in the conversation. But I got Wilbert and the running back just for him alone. And the other unit, I, I think trumps the 0-4 team is linebacker: Berge, Lamaster, Bunting, Jerry Robinson. And I'm partial to some of those guys like, uh, a little bit, but uh, of course but you are.
0: I, You're talking about slow, slowest, and slower.
2: Yeah, but I mean the linebackers in '04 weren't great. I mean Trot was very good, but you, you give me Nate Wayne, Dahani Jones, I get there's a bone my skirt up right there, so I got to give a nod somewhere.
0: Yeah, well, okay, we were talking oh, about overall team. Listen, a 3-4, those linebackers didn't have to cover like they have to cover now. So let's face it, uh, you, you know, that yeah. that was a good team for 1980. It wouldn't be a good team today. The overall...
2: Yeah, no, those are the only two units I even think about being over. Oh, over, over uh, far and away, a better team, top to bottom.
0: Far and away, a better team. All right, so... We have 4 winning the battle so far, so let's go to the magic year of 2017. All right? In the playoffs, this team, because you know the way they started, uh, and Carson Wentz was playing out of his mind that year until he gets hurt against the Rams. So uh, the, here, were, here were the starting uh, lineups uh, before Foles. Carson Wentz and uh, LeGarrette Blunt, and then Jay Ajayi comes in. So they used both of those guys, and they both had their strengths. The wide receivers, Nelson Aguilar, Alshon Jeffrey, Torrey Smith, and, of course, a very productive tight end in Zach Ertz. Uh, and their offensive line, Peters had gotten hurt. So Vitai wound up starting at left tackle. Uh, Stefan Wisniewski at guard, left guard. Kelsey, uh, Brandon Brooks at yeah. right guard. Right. And Lane Johnson was the starter. So that uh, offensive line was not great. It was passable at that time.
2: Did you mention Court Clement when you talked about the backs? He was pretty big contributor.
0: Uh, You know, I'm going to get to the depth players in a second. Uh, The defense, Vinnie Curry, Timmy Jernigan, a very underrated acquisition that year, Uh, And and Jernigan played well in that tackle spot with Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham, your main guys on the defensive line. Curry, uh, you know, everybody thought too highly of Curry. He really wasn't that productive. He was okay. Their
2: linebacker. People loved him because he was a a self-proclaimed big Eagles fan growing
0: up. I think that's why. Yeah, you know, he's a Jersey guy from the Jersey Shore, whatever. All right, Michael uh, uh, Kendrick, Kendricks, Jordan Hicks, Nigel Bradham. Were the linebackers Uh, Jalen Mills, Ronald Darby, Rodney McLeod, and Malcolm Jenkins? Uh, The depth players, as we mentioned, Jai Kenyon Barner was in there with Corey Clement as well. Trey Burton, Brent Selleck, Nate Gary, Mack Hollins, Patrick Robinson, who made a big play in the playoffs, obviously, Wendell Smallwood. Uh, Rasul Douglas, I think that Darren Spoles was hurt that year, right? Yeah, I don't think he finished, uh, he did not play in the Super Bowl, I don't think he
2: played in the postseason Yeah, he was
0: hurt, he only played three games that year. Your specialist, Jake Elliott, and Bag of Bones, Donnie Jones, was your punter. We used to get calls from the Bag of Bones, Donnie Jones fan club all the time on Sports Talk Radio. Okay, let's look at what they did. Uh, wins 13 games in 13 games had thrown for 3296 yards with 33 touchdowns and seven interceptions and nobody remembers any of it. It is amazing. He got him off to a great start with MVP caliber numbers uh that year. Uh and then uh Nick Foles just Took over and nobody remembers about Carson Wentz at that point. So Foles had three starts. I think Carson put fifty points
2: on the board twice yes. that
0: year. Mike. Foles twice. with three starts in regular season uh, came in for five hundred thirty-seven yards, five touchdowns, and two interceptions. Uh, uh, Garrett Blount, your rush was four hundred sixty-six yards. Jai four hundred eight yards. Blount had two touchdowns in the regular season. and Jai had one touchdown. Uh, so now let's let's get to the playoffs. They they beat the Falcons. 15 to 10, and then Foles goes nuts. They beat the Vikings 38 to 7, and, of course, in the Super Bowl, they beat the Patriots 41 to 33. Foles versus Atlanta, 23 for 30 for 238. Started off very pedestrian. Minnesota, 26 for 33 for 346 yards and three touchdowns, and in the Super Bowl, 29 for 44 for 374 and four touchdowns, and a Super Bowl title. All right? Now, I look at that year, and I look at the personnel, and I go, eh, eh, eh. And to me, that's why i always looked at that year as lightning in a bottle. So, and I don't want to disrespect them. They won a the Super Bowl. Foles did what he did. But they let, they let a charm. Line. I don't know what happened uh, that the lightning bolt came in and, and struck them. But they became an unstoppable force, uh, and... uh I don't believe that team was nearly as good as the team we are looking now and maybe not even as good as the one in 2004. Now you compare the three of them, Dutch, what do you got? I still got 04 as the best team uh, uh,
2: top to bottom of those three. You know, I watched the soup last night, uh, the weekend before the Super Bowl, every year, the NFL Network, they do the highlights of all the Super Bowls. And the Eagles won from 17 happened to be on last night. And I was watching it, and I just – you can't believe – how good Foles was in that Super Bowl. I mean, he was outside of his mind and body in that game. And you asked me for an explanation. There is only one. It's lightning in a bottle. Every break, everything came their way. From the tip ball against Atlanta to Tory Smith. I mean, the, the, the flea flicker, Patrick Robinson having the game of his life against the Vikings in the, in the NFC Championship game. That is the... A, you, a, the epitome of a lightning in a bottle season. So that's the only explanation. But as far as the three teams, definitely 0-4. four. Is, I'm still with them as the best team, top to bottom, so far of
0: those three. Okay. Um, so when we look at this team and, and you compare the positions, they they are solid in um, almost every area. In fact, I I can't see where they're weak. Uh, Their their weaknesses are, you know, uh, very scattered. I mean, you could say they're not good against the run, but it really really hasn't hurt them. So uh, if, if you look at the personnel from top to bottom, you line up every position, there is no question in my mind that this team is the best Eagle team that's ever been produced. And if they don't win the Super Bowl, it'll be a damn shame. Because of that factor. They're the best. They should win the Super Bowl. And if they don't win the Super Bowl, I'm I'm just curious to know what the reaction is going to be. Because I think that most people right now, as we sit here on a Wednesday, most people are convinced that the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl, which scares me a little bit. i got to be honest with you. I've never been in a situation where um, you know, the majority of people, whether it's here or or elsewhere, believe the Eagles are the better team and, and they're going to win. So what kind of uh, – are we setting ourselves up for any kind of a disappointment here? I, I'm with you in that – see, a part of it is we're just not used to this.
2: Like we're never – we never have the best team easily. And they went wire to wire this year, Mike. You know, they had a couple losses at the end of the year without Hurts, and they had a couple down weeks where they didn't play great. Uh, but they were wire to wire. They've been the best team in football all season. I think it's just a matter of we're not used to it. That's why you feel that little bit of dread. Um, I've, had, I've been very confident in them all season, particularly in the postseason. You and I have talked about it a lot. Uh, I'm a, I have a little doubt creeping in right now for two reasons. One, like you said. Everybody seems the vast majority of people, I should say, seem to really like them. And every pundit on television will not stop talking about Pat Mahomes and what a wizard and a magician he is. And now that doubt starts to creep into your mind as we're, you know, a couple days away from game time. So but I'm still steadfast. They're the best team in football. That defensive line is a tidal wave. Their offensive line is a tsunami. All right,
0: so so uh, uh, to to conclude here, and I, I I I don't want to put down any of these teams. You get to the Super Bowl, you're doing something. All right, and this is something that we'll always remember: these teams that went to a championship in uh, 1980. Uh, the, the 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 great uh, team of Ron Jaworski and Wilbur Montgomery and Dick Vermeer, We remember that team fondly, uh, and in two thousand four, we'll re- we remember. Uh, uh, the, the, we don't remember that fondly. It's just, it's interesting because we don't remember it fondly because everybody looks at McNabb, and, and you have varied opinions about Donovan McNabb, so we don't remember it fondly. Uh, when they losing to the Patriots. I remember at the time saying, I thought the Patriots were the better team. I wasn't that devastated, but so many people were devastated and they don't remember that team fondly because they don't remember the quarterback fondly, which is probably really unfair to Donovan McNabb. Then we get to 2017 and remember that quarterback more fondly than Donovan McNabb, for crying out loud. I mean, you might think Nick Foles was the greatest quarterback in franchise history, which is also disrespectful to McNabb. Now, a lot of what Donovan did, he put on himself, I get it, but the 2017 team will be beloved. The 2014 will not. 2017 team won, obviously, with Nick Foles. So uh, most people are going to say, I love that 2017 team, but they weren't better than the 2014. But none of them compared to this team. And uh, as we sit here in the middle of the week, and I can't imagine that I'm going to change on this, I do believe the Eagles are the better team. I don't think this is a team that has shown even though they're the better team they're capable of losing to a lesser team, except they did that one time this year. And I don't think they're going to be doing it when the stakes are high because they look like they're really ready to play. And they're not a team that has slippage. So I think as the better team, they will ladies and gentlemen, win the super bowl.
1: It's the Mike Cassinelli podcast on the bet rivers network.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's the Mike Cassinelli podcast, very special guest joining us now on the podcast. I mean, it doesn't get any better than Andrew Brandt because, you know, we're going to talk about the Super Bowl and the business of sports. And uh, I guess there's no bigger, uh, a bigger venue than uh, the Super Bowl for sports business. So we'll get into a lot of issues. Uh, Andrew Brandt, of course, uh, he's the executive director of the Morad Center Sports Law at Villanova University. Uh, he's also uh, the host of the business of a sports podcast. He does a newsletter. He's uh, an NFL Business Insider. He uh, uh, you, I mean uh, you get 100 the SIMMQB. You, you're a columnist for for Amazon. You're all over the place. I can't keep up with all the stuff that you do, Andrew. you're a very important man and I'm privileged to have you here.
3: Michael, same to you and uh, for people who don't know you came to my class last week. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot going on. I, I always say that uh, I have a lot of jobs so I don't have to have a real one know, <laughs> I've got my day job at Villanova, as you know, running sports law, sports business program, graduate only over at their school. And then I have these, these media gigs. I do my podcast once a week, The Business of Sports. I do my column once a week for Sports Illustrated. I do a newsletter every Sunday. And I started a premium group where you get a video from me every day and we meet every week. Uh, so I just try to keep it all in check and you know, my whole goal, Mike, is sort of the third chapter of my career. First chapter was an agent. Second chapter, running a team. Third chapter is kind of my giving back career, where um, through media and academia, I'm just trying to give back. And, you know, I'm never going to cure cancer or find a vaccine, but the way I can give back is insider insight and perspective and knowledge that few people have.
0: I get your newsletter uh, regularly, so uh, I'm very interested in, in all the things you have to say. You, you've had enough real jobs where you can actually do something like this, so it's not like you've never had a real job. You've had a lot of stressful jobs.
3: Yeah, and it's great to be able to live this way, and my kids are older now, but I fly around and see them a lot, and, and as you know, I'm really into fitness, so I get all that in as well.
0: Yeah, you're doing all kinds of uh, climbing mountains and uh, yeah. and, and. do, do I mean it's amazing with all all the stuff you do I and mean, how physically fit you are. Uh so let's uh let's talk about the Super Bowl, Andrew, and uh obviously the financial impact it has uh, is just incredible. Um w- w- when you look at how uh, the the Super Bowl has evolved uh from when you first started in the league to where it is now. Can you put it in perspective financially?
3: Yeah, I started in the league in 1999 and uh it was, I can tell you on the, on the ad side first, which people seem to care about, I think it was about a million dollars per 30 seconds uh, to get a Super Bowl spot. And on Sunday, they're going for $7 million. So $7 million per 30 seconds. I've read Anheuser-Busch got three minutes, which is worth like 40-something million dollars. Um, so that has obviously changed. I just think the spectacle is bigger every year. It's almost like it's, it's got to get bigger every year or otherwise you feel like it's going backwards. Obviously, we had the COVID years, but the hospitality has gone through the roof, Mike. It's just party here, party there, corporate sponsors here, corporate sponsors there. I usually go out. I'm not going this week, but I go out to the Super Bowl week for meetings and business, and I never stay for the game. But by Friday, Saturday, people are like, oh, Jesus. Oh, there's a game left? like there's still a game to play it's like all the other stuff and so maybe we'll talk about neutral site championship games but it's like that's kind of the least of super bowl week that people think about when they're out there it's like oh yeah there is a game at some point
0: that's why i like the final four games a lot better for the purity of the football you know i'm, I'm watching last night the the, the media evening now yeah. it's the, it's the media evening and uh, you get all kinds of uh, you know people from the San Francisco Forty ers are there with their corporate sponsors and there's these all these stanchions and it, it's really a, just an amazing spectacle. But but you did touch on something I wanted to talk about these new because I, I know you're a proponent of the neutral sites as we get into the playoffs and I think your reasoning is is really logical. You're you're, you're having three Super Bowls instead of one and and the planning that could go into it as far as making the league even
3: bigger. Let me correct you. I'm not a proponent. I'm a okay. realist. You know? <laughs> so everyone coming at me like, how could you say the fans, the fans? I'm like, I get it. I get it. It's not a popular idea. And I'm not pushing it. I'm not a salesman for the idea. I'm a realist. And what you just said, what I've said, why turn down three Super Bowls instead of one? We had notice of the Eagles hosting the championship game. You know what notice we had? We had four days. Imagine having a year. Like a year before the Eagles play whoever in Atlanta or, or New Orleans or Miami. Yeah, the league would prefer that. There'd be bidding. There'd be the same hospitality we're having in Phoenix right now. There'd be sponsored events. There'd be ticket prices would be through the roof compared to what they are now for championship games. So I'm not. I understand fans hate this idea. But do you think the NFL is looking at college football's Final Four in in the Rose Bowl, in the Sugar Bowl, in the Peach Bowl, and saying, wow, what are we doing here? Of course they are. And uh, maybe not next year. Eagles fans, don't worry. You know, while you're in this run here, maybe not. But five years, 10 years? Yeah, I could see it.
0: All right. So the the, the obviously the opposite side of that is that what would that do to the... This competitive balance concept where the regular season you fight to get your particular seeds, which makes that NFL regular season uh, pretty viable and interesting on a week to week basis. So how do you counter that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good question. Obviously, the Eagles teams like that would have their bye, but only one game, uh, which still gives them an advantage. I mean, one home game. Maybe we're coming, Mike, with everything else that expands. Maybe we're coming to eight playoff teams by the time this is a real thing. You know, maybe it is. Maybe there's eight playoff teams by that time, and no one gets a buy. So I don't have the answer to that. But uh, if fans think that the league cares about them more than an, a new revenue stream, they got another thing coming. <laughs> you know,
0: because you know, the fans are always going to be there. That's what they yes. know. Uh, so so I get to, I get where you are there. Uh, So so let's uh, let's look now inside this this whole thing, because I I don't know how much success will shape the marketability of Jalen Hurts here. But uh, I'm I'm fascinated by where the quarterback prices are going uh, in this league. Uh, Joe Burrow is now going to be in the 50s. So you've been on both sides of the fence. You've been an agent. You've been a general manager. Uh, what's the proper strategy here for the Eagles and Jalen Hurts? Obviously, the Eagles would like to get er- in early. Uh, the agent would say, I don't think I want to get in early. I want to bet on my player. But then there's always the risk right. that that fall off the, uh, the the table and your marketability declines. So what's the right thing here?
3: Well, first of all, if you're an agent and you're with the team, you're always going to look at precedent. That's the key. And the Eagles have a precedent right when Carson Wentz was able to get the extension after year three. People don't know that CBA requires three years before you can re up somebody. They went right to Wentz and gave him top of the market. You know, him and Goff got these top of the market deals. So if I'm Hertz's agent, like, okay, you know, if you would go to Wentz, you're definitely going to come to me. But it's a more nuanced conversation, Mike, about what the numbers are going to be, because the elephant in the room, I've talked about this all year, is Deshaun Watson. So the question to me is not how much, right? And I know people will focus on how much. The question to me is how secure. And I know people are say, well, they're never going to cut Jalen Hurts, but who knows? So if I'm Jalen Hurts' agent, I know I'm going to get, whether it's 40 a year, 45 a year, 50 a year. I know that's coming. The question is, are you secure after year two, after year three, after year four, and in in Watson's case, after year five? In other words, you can cut them, but with Watson, you got to pay them. So it's not just whether they'll cut them or not, it's leverage. So again, if uh, if you're getting towards the end of the contract, the Eagles without a guarantee would just say, "Oh yeah, we got we got got years left at non-guarantee." If you're getting towards the end of the contract and you're guaranteed, that gives Hurts much more leverage for the next deal. So, as we know, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, they got a lot of money, but they didn't get the Watson structure. Will Joe Burrow get it? Will Justin Herbert get it? Will Jalen Hurts get it? My answer, when this is a sad answer for the future of player contracts, is probably not. Like, Watson may end up being an outlier, and that's unfortunate, because everyone asks me, and they ask you, I'm sure on the radio all I heard these, why don't NFL players have guaranteed contracts? Well, the only way to get it is to follow up the Watson contract with your top players, quarterbacks, following it up with precedent. Because then it'll eke out into the offensive line. It'll eke out into the top receiver. But if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. So we're, so you, we're you, at a moment in time. You think teams would actually
0: draw the line, knowing that that contract is out there, knowing that the agents are going to push for that because my guy's better than him anyway? They
3: have so far. You mean not give the guarantee? Yes, yeah. not
0: the guarantee. I want the Watson deal. or my my. You know, I'm not signing in this, this
3: contract. This is why Lamar Jackson hasn't signed? You know the 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 intricacy of that deal is that you have a future funding issue. So the the Haslam's are billionaires; they're funding 180 million on that Watson deal because of the future guarantee. You know what? Mike Brown in Cincinnati he can't do that. He doesn't have 180 million sitting around. And Dean Spanos in, in char and Chargers with Herbert he can't do that. Now Jeff Lurie could do that. He could do that. Because they're rich owners. Yeah, but are they going to? Because you know what? All the other owners would say, no, don't (laughs) do it. Let's get to
0: the practicality of it. So, uh, and this is, you know, I'm I'm not asking you to represent Jalen Hurts here, but if the the Eagles want to lower the AAV, they say, okay, we'll we'll, uh, guarantee 200 million and we'll put it on the books as $40 million a year.
3: Is that a reasonable offer? I think so. I think so. You know, I think, uh, you know, Lamar was offered 133 guaranteed and the rest on the come. I would have said to the Ravens, if I was representing Lamar, okay, I'll take the 133 over three years, done, end of deal. You know? So whatever that is, 42 a year, 44 a year.
0: Yeah. So uh, the 40 million would be less than what some guys are going to get now.
3: Yeah. But the, that, you know, like Mahomes' deal, Mahomes' deal sold as like a half a billion dollar deal. Mahomes deal is not that good later in the deal. You get some big numbers, but now we're at, you know, the thirties range. Yeah. So yeah, I I just think maybe it's just nerds like me that focus on all the structure and people just want to know, Hey, is it 50 a year or whatever? Uh, But I'm just trying to give the insight there.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Howie Roseman, because, um, you know, obviously this week he's getting a lot of acclaim for what he did and what he did was, was pretty amazing. Um, uh, he, he's going to the other side. It's, it's amazing the, the disparity of opinion on Howie. And, uh, <laughs> he has screwed up a couple of picks, and but he's this year been able to maneuver to the point where he probably made this team the most stocked team in franchise history. Uh, talk to me about how he works
3: and how he pulls it off. Well, for people who don't know, 2009, 10, 11, uh, Joe Banner, Andy Reid brought me in there as a consultant. And the reason I was brought in there because this cap guy named Howie Roseman was being moved over from cap contracts to personnel with the understanding that wasn't known at the time, but he was going to be groomed to be the general manager. So they needed an experienced guy. They had some young guys to handle the contracts for a couple of years. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not going to work there. I don't want a job anymore. So as we talked about. So I did. Um, So I saw him up close and I'd known him for a long time. He has fought this cap guy stereotype hard and he has worked at it. You know, he's worked at it because the old line scouts, you know, like, eh, you know, we don't like this cap guy coming in here and sitting with us in these college campuses. But he did, he took the bullets. He befriended all these guys like Joe Douglas and Ryan Griggs and these hardline scout types. And he worked at it. And he worked at it. But I think, you know, just, we can all debate this draft pick, that draft pick. It seems like he hit on a lot of them. He missed on Rager and some others. But his value, Mike, is on the business side because we don't have a lot of general managers with my and Howie's background. And their negotiating ability, you know, I've said this. He has taken advantage of other GMs because those other GMs grew up bird-dogging players. They didn't grow up negotiating. They don't know negotiations. So whether it's the Saints deal last year, I mean, I've gone through this. I'm writing an article for Sports Illustrated about it. You look at Jordan Mulata's average compared to top tackles. You look at Hassan Reddick's AAV compared to top edge rushers. Not even in the same ballpark. I mean, like, what is he doing to these agents? Like, you look at Darius Slay's deal compared to J.R. Alexander. I mean, you look at what he got Darius Slay for, a third and a fifth. I mean, what are you doing here? Like, I I always say, like, our people get a call from Howie Roseman, they should run to the hills. You don't want to take that call. (laughs) So he has proven his value that way. Well, how does he do it? I I mean,
0: know. It's, it's, that's what I mean. These are these are football people. They're smart people. They don't want to give 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 uh, things for nothing. How does he pull it off? I mean, you know him personally.
3: Well, it's not just GMs. It's the agents. And and I I think with the GMs, they'll, they'll all say, well, yeah, I got this. I got that. The the, four, the Saints really wanted to go all in to get Chris Olave, you know, and, and they did what they had to do. I mean, everybody's going to have a story. You know the AJ Brown trade; they were never going to sign him in in Tennessee, so what get what they could. But he and we didn't even talk about it, he picks up Gardner Johnson and and Bradbury, who are like off the scrap heap because no one wanted them. Like, I mean that's personnel and scout and negotiating. So he has put them at a competitive advantage. That's the words I've used for Howie. And let's just be clear, Mike, as you. I have been very critical of how in the past, the way they went all in on Wentz. Uh, he doesn't get full credit for Hertz because he was trying to shop for Watson or Wilson. And so I think, you know, you have to give the good and the bad.
0: Uh, we're talking to Andrew Brand, of course, uh, who uh, is, is the guru of sports business in in this country. And uh, if, if you don't uh, see him on Twitter, you're, you're a fascinating Twitter guy, too. You're so understated and biting with your understatement, <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is fascinating. I, you made this great point. Like, the Mark Jackson thing is going on. And, uh, and, and you make the logical point that uh, the franchise tag is completely – Uh, made this kind of a non negotiating story because the Ravens can sit there and go, okay, we're just going to franchise. And then we're going to franchise you after that. It's almost like the old baseball reserve clause, Andrew, where you couldn't get free. Right. Right. And basically these guys can't get, and I'm, I'm kind of shocked that the CBA has allowed this kind of thing. Um, Give me your perspective on on that and and whether that will be a a point of contention in the next CBA, not to have the franchise.
3: Every time I bring up the tag with union officials, I get sort of the same feeling. This goes back 30 years, which is, eh, it only affects 10, 12 players a year. Why are we going to put a lot of priority in that? And my point is it affects a lot more than 10, 12 players because you're affecting the top of the top. So if Lamar Jackson is restricted, that means all top quarterbacks are restricted because he's not going to get the Watson level and then, you know, trickle down effect. Um, I think, and also as a negotiator, I've used that, Mike, many times. I never hit the franchise tag with the Packers, but I used it a lot. I used it a lot, even with a kicker, you know, with Ryan Longwell. I mean, I would say, okay, if we don't get it done, you know, we got the tag. You just franchise. Yeah, I mean, this is always (laughs) part of these negotiations. So I feel for Lamar, and people bust on Lamar for representing himself. I'm like, I think he's doing a good job. I think he's like, he's like tough compared to some of these other agents that say, yeah, Watson's going to be an outlier. So it's it's a weapon. Um, Don't get me started on the CBA. You know, when I've been critical, people come at me like. Because at one point I was asked to sort of run for the job and I talked to my wife and I decided not to do that. But people think I'm still angling for that job, you know, the top job, the Demore Smith job. And let me be clear, I'm not. But uh, yeah, I had been critical of that to
0: What would they have to give up to get that out of there? What would be the compromise? If that's not important, it's
3: probably never going to happen. But what, what would it take? What do you think the owner's... Don't have already <laughs> like, like what, what do the players have to give up? Like, <laughs> that's a question, you know? So since the union is kind of powerless in this situation is what you're saying. I mean, they, the owners keep giving up, uh, time in the off season. And if I'm an owner, like, what do I care? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> let them hang out for six months. I don't care. You know, that's going to get me my economics. And every every CBA is like, yeah, less time in the offseason. the coaches are pissed. Coaches. But coaches aren't part of that negotiation. Uh,
0: uh, Andrew, uh, your background is uh, uh, pretty fast. People don't know it. Uh, Stanford University, Georgetown uh, Law School. uh, You you were uh, an agent and you're on the management side. Uh, You were the GM of the Barcelona Dragons. uh, And then in 1999, uh, the the Green Bay Packers. Um, How did you get involved in in the football part of this whole
3: thing? Well, it's interesting, you know, I was out of law school. I got to join a big firm, which is lucky. I realize I'm very fortunate that I joined ProServe. And uh, I started working for this guy, David Falk. I was just a kid out of law school. And David was, of course, the supreme basketball agent with everyone knows Michael Jordan, but also Alonzo Mourning, Allen Iverson, Dikembe Mutombo, wonderful Patrick Ewing. And... Here's the thing. David also had three or four NFL players who kind of came to the firm like, Hey, I want to be with Mike Jordan's agent. Like, why not? But no one was paying attention to these guys. So I looked at my opportunity. I tell young people all the time, like, look hard around you. You'll find your opportunity. And I said, okay, there's my opportunity. I'm going to be a football agent because we got plenty of people working on these basketball guys. No one's taking care of them. And over the next seven years, I went from three to 15 NFL players and then the Barcelona thing. And So then it was like, OK, this guy made a name as a football agent because I saw an opportunity. Look at me. You know, I never played football, but I love the sport. I grew up, you know, my best memories are growing up with my dad, going to Washington Redskins games. I'm from D.C., and it was a bonding experience. I love the sport. So I'm like, okay, I'll be a football agent. And uh, that's how it. Ha- that's how it, the path started. Okay,
0: so how, then how did you cross over? Did, did uh, being an agent wear you out? And you found out that it was better to be on the management side? Because it can wear you out.
3: Yeah, it did. But I never looked for it. So it's so funny. I was representing my biggest client of my career. I had a guy named Ricky Williams at University of Texas. It's a long story how I got to him, but I got to him and we hit it off. He's a different cat, but I always enjoyed him. And uh, everyone's after Ricky. And by the time I hung on to him, I am looking around and he's like, you know, uh, I want to be with this guy, Master P. I'm like, who's Master P? He said he's a rapper. I said, what's that mean for me? Because I want you to work for Master P. Like do the contracts and stuff. And I'm like, Hmm. Okay. So I meet him and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm telling my wife, like, Hey, I think I'm going to work for this guy. Master B. Cause Ricky was my, uh, was my bread and butter. Like I'm not this is my guy, Ricky Williams. This is my ticket to stardom. And, uh, it's just amazing. I don't know if I've ever told you this story, Mike, exact same time within 48 hours. My wife says, Hey, by the way, the Green Bay Packers keep calling here. Not my office, my home. I'm like, That's funny. I got one client there, third string quarterback, Matt Hasselback. Doesn't need a contract. I call up Ron Wolf, Bob Harlan. I'm like, Listen, why are you calling me? <laughs> like, I got Ricky Williams. I got Master P. <laughs> They're like, Hey, uh, I, we can't deal with Hasselback right now. I said, I can't. He said, We're not calling about Hasselback. I said, Why? So well, our coach, this guy, Mike Holmgren, just went to the Seattle Seahawks. And I said, all right, I watch Sports Center. <laughs> he said, well, he took the guy. He took this guy, Mike Reinfeld, who ran the whole business operation here at Green Bay. He took him to Seattle. And I'm like, okay, sorry. And they then right away, they said, well, how'd you like to switch sides? And I said, Green Bay? They said, yeah, like, you talk to 100 agents. Why me? They said, listen, you're, you know, you impressed us. You're a smart guy. You know, your way around the cap, you know your way around contracts. Hasselbeck loves you, all this stuff. And I'm like, all right, let me talk to you. <laughs> I go up to Green Bay and I actually said this to him. I said, don't take offense, but do I have to actually move here <laughs> to do this? I mean, it would have been a great question for the COVID world, but it was way before COVID <laughs> and they said, sorry, but yes. Anyway, back to my wife, and we decided, like what you said, to sort of get off the train of chasing these guys around the country and uh, a little more stable management environment. I moved to Green Bay, Wisconsin. My wife's a teacher, so I moved there alone for six months before she finished her teaching, and uh, quite an experience.
0: Wow. So, uh, I, so the first of all, in wooing Ricky Williams – I I hate to reveal the, the, you know this part of your personal life, but did did you have to smoke a little weed the, during, during that time to woo him? Because he's made no bones about it. Yeah. Was that a part of
3: bonding with Ricky? People don't believe this, but I never saw weed. I never saw it. What I did see was he, you know, in junior year, I had him. And he, last minute, last minute before I'm sending in the paperwork, it's like, I want to stay. I'm like Ricky, fifty million dollar contract. What are you talking about? Yeah, I don't want to go. And he said, you know, Austin, Texas. He's like, if I get drafted, I got to go to some place like Chicago or whatever. I'm like, he goes, I want to stay in Austin. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. And he had no friends on the Texas football team, but he had a ton of friends in Austin. You know, he's just a different guy. Um, so yeah, he was. But he still, so he
0: wound up going with Master P.
3: He did, and he had, you know, he had three or four agents. But by the yeah,
0: end, yeah. So, so just think, if you had been still involved, you would have been in that whole Philadelphia snafu when the mayor uh, <laughs> wanted to draft him, and not McNab. McNabb gets booed at the draft. You would have been right involved in that whole thing.
3: Well, I was, I was. Believe me, I was quizzed and interrogated by the Mike Ditka and the Saints when they found out the story of me. Now I'm at the Packers. And they request to Ron Wolf, can we sit down with Brand and quiz him about Ricky Williams? <laughs> and I told him what I told you. I never saw drug use. But, you know, he was he was still there's still no one really like him. I mean, maybe Earl Campbell before him. But in terms of that, that uh, bulk and that speed together.
0: Um, I want you to tell a story of Andy Reid, because obviously um, he was the Green Bay. And, um, you tell a story about the, the first time you, you met Andy. So, uh, and it involves uh, your little sports car. So you go ahead you have the floor, uh, you're with the Packers and, uh, Andy Reed is going to be a coach.
3: Yeah. I just mentioned the client, same client, uh, Matt Hasselback. He was out of Boston college, still one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, and one of my first clients and one of my best friends and, Matthew, as I call him, uh, didn't get invited to the combine, just didn't get invited. And I was certainly not an influential agent <laughs> because I called my friend Gil Brandt, same name, couldn't get him into the combine, could not get him in. Anyway, I said, all right, we're going to hold a one day tryout at Boston College. I invite every team in the league. I get one RSVP, the guy Andy Reid, Green Bay Packers quarterbacks coach. I'm like, call him up. Look him up, I see a picture of his face, but I call him up and I say, "Hey, Andy, that's great. I'll pick you up at Logan Airport, and we'll ride over to BC. He's like, "Super. Look forward to meeting you." So in those days, pre-911, you know, you just pull up to the airport, and my man walks out, and I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, he's a very man, and you're driving what? I am driving a porsche, and it's small. You know, I'm living the life as an agent, right? So uh, it's
0: a two seat car basically. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I
3: yanked the the passenger seat back to as far as it go back and throw everything, you know, out the window, whatever. <laughs> and I stuff him in there like a Jack in the box. I felt so bad. He's literally hunched the whole drive over. And he, I even, you know, I said, listen, <laughs> I can take you back, but you might want to take a cab. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, that's how we met. And uh, I mentioned earlier, 11 years later, he brought me back, you know, to to consult while Howie was uh, learning a new role there.
0: All right. So um, just give me your, uh, I ask everybody this question about what makes him so successful. I mean, you knew him at at a very young age and you saw how his career has evolved, especially in Kansas City. So what is it about him? that makes him such a success with uh, the with football teams and football players?
3: Well, he's such as he's, he's a quarterback savant. And I don't know enough as to why it's just not my expertise. I mean, I saw what he did with Matthew, obviously Brett Favre. Um, and then all the quarterbacks since and Philadelphia and Kansas city it's just, he's just a, a wizard, uh, with, with offensive football. And, you know, that's the, the, the X's and O's side. I think the other thing about Andy, which I can never understand how he does it, he's, as you know better than anyone, he's a flatliner. He's a true flatliner. He doesn't get high. He doesn't get low. He's gone through personal hardship, as everyone knows. He has a stoic face about everything. And that takes a lot. Um, so he's, you know, at the end of the day, he's a likable guy. He's a funny guy, and uh, just, you know, he has a rare ability not to take things too seriously.
0: Talking to Andrew, Andrew, the last couple of things I want to get get involved with is uh, uh, the Tom Brady situation. Uh, you've made a point, and it's a, it's a good point that uh, he's actually taken less money for what he Mm -hmm. was worth and uh, uh, comparing it to other situations where guys will defer money is a little different than what Brady has done. Uh, And and you've always thought he's undercut himself as far as his worth as a player.
3: Yeah, this is for a cap one-on-one lesson for people. All these quarterbacks, including Brady push out money. And when I say push out, that's cap C-A-P. So in other words, they bonus out their salary. They push out the proration. It, it, Hurt some later, the team later, but right now it's helping them win to assign better more players. Everyone does that. But he actually took less cash, C-A-S-H, not just cap. And like in a year where the top quarterbacks are making 30, he was taking 25. When a year where the top quarterbacks are making 20, he's making 15. This is all the Patriots, not the Bucks. And uh everyone's got their theories, you know, that there is the wife makes so much money. I'm like, all right, whatever, you know, or the, the Patriots are paying him under the table, whatever, you know, if they were, that's a major violation, but he did, he did. And no one's going to feel sorry for Brady, but I'm just saying, no one has done that. No one has done that. No one feels, does feel sorry for him. (laughs) It is amazing. Yeah, of course. (laughs) So now of course, you know, and he's going to make a ton of money going forward, but,
0: yeah you know, he's he's going to for that. I have the numbers. Like he made 333 million in 23 years as a quarterback. He's going to make 375 million for 10 years at Fox when he starts his career. And he just announced he's going to do, defer it. I don't know what his motivation is for that, but he's going to defer yeah. it until the following year to be a broadcaster. Um do you believe that it's possible that now that he's left this gap year that opens him up to go somewhere else and play one more year?
3: Yeah, the gap year makes me think Well, it doesn't make me think he's going to sign somewhere by September, but he could be one of these things, right? As everyone's talking about, look around in October, November, look around and who's the title contender, whether it's an injury or whether the team just would be one player away like him. I think the odds are no, he's done, but uh, you never know. You never know. I do one thing on Brady though. I wonder, Mike, and people would say, how could this happen? Well, maybe he didn't have a job. You know, maybe Vegas is looking to get Aaron and Jets are looking at somewhere else. And, and Tampa is looking somewhere else because Tampa is going to revamp. So maybe he didn't have a job, you know, and people think there are all these jobs for Tom Brady.
0: I'm not so sure. OK, but there's a lot of jobs for Aaron Rodgers who you just brought up and you been very yeah. close to Aaron and, and obviously with the organization. Um, how realistic is it that he's not the Green Bay quarterback next year? What what could possibly happen with that with that contract that he has? How how could it uh, it happen that he plays for another team next year? Well, the
3: contract's secure for sixty million, and but the question is who pays it. Um, it can be traded; they take a forty million hit. That's a high cap hit, but teams have done that. You know, the the Eagles took thirty four million on Wentz, the Falcons took forty million on Matt Ryan. So we'll see. Uh, I just have the sense that it's time. And there's so much symmetry for me and deja vu because 15 years ago, you know, we moved on from Brett to Aaron. Aaron had sat three years coming in as a first-round pick. Jordan Love has sat three years coming in as a first-round pick. Jordan Love has shown some promise. Aaron showed promise. It just feels like it's time. Now, you know, maybe the Packers string it out another year, but – I know no one cares about Jordan Love, but if I'm Jordan, like, are you going to tell Jordan Love, hey, we'll get to your fifth year? <laughs> you know, like, what? Like, if I'm Jordan Love's people, like, wait, fifth year? Like, get me out of here. And I don't think they want to trade Jordan Love. I don't. So, I think it's more about what do the Packers feel about Jordan Love than what do they feel about Aaron Rodgers? Where's the most likely landing spot? You think it's the Raiders? Yeah. Yeah. Only because there are no California jobs open, <laughs> and I don't think he's going to the Jets. I don't think I don't see Aaron in New Jersey. So, uh, yeah, Tennessee. You know, Tennessee's a, a, a secondary a second choice. But the other thing with Aaron is he could walk away. Now people say why would he, he would never walk away from sixty million. I get it. I get it. But he is just a different yeah, guy. from he's uh, Andrew,
0: this has been delightful. I really appreciate you coming on yeah. the, on the podcast. Andrew Brandt, the executive director of the Morad Center, Sports Law of Villanova University, among other uh, many things in uh, sports business, and uh, you, you can catch him anywhere. Wait, wait, your Twitter is
3: at Andrew Brandt. Twitter is my name, and I do these reels on Instagram for your for your listeners that do the uh, do the IG. And I didn't get, I couldn't get Andrew Brandt. I'm Andrew Brandt too. So (laughs) we got to find that Andrew Brandt out there and get rid of him. Okay. So you're Andrew Uh, Brandt
0: too on Twitter.
3: On Instagram. Oh, on
0: Instagram. Andrew Brandt on on Twitter. Okay. That's that's, uh, easy enough. uh, I appreciate it. Uh, th- thank you so much. And uh, we'll do it again. And, uh, you know, I, listen, I, I went to your class the other day and I I sat there like a student. Yeah. I really did. I was like the old days where I liked being back in a classroom. Oh. <laughs> it went on the way you, you taught it. And I love the interaction that you have with your students. It, it's it's a- absolutely the way to teach. So yeah, uh, just best wishes on that. Thank you, my friend.
1: It's the Mike Mussinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.
0: All right, thanks to Andrew Brandt for coming on. This some very interesting topics. Always love uh, talking to to my man, Andrew. Uh, All right, so it's now time for Mike Unleashed. And uh, in this episode, Mike Unleashed is just going to be my views on uh, some things that uh, I've seen on Twitter uh, in in the prelude to this game and also on Super Bowl opening night, which has now become uh, fanfare it used to be media day now it's it's opening night they do it at night they make a big production out of it that you know, all get, is, get the media outlets from all over the world you get some crazy questions you get some people that aren't really supposed to be there you get michael Irvin walking around uh you know you know all these special privilege guys that just go right up to people so uh here are some of the things that caught my eye for mike unleashed today um here's the here's the first uh, thing that i noticed um uh, okay the reporter Is asking a question to Jalen Hurts. Now I I don't know where some people get the balls, but um, you know, there's a way to be a reporter. There's a way not to be a reporter, and one of the things is you don't make yourself part of the story because nobody gives a crap what you think, frankly. All right, you ask a question, you get your information, you serve your readership or your listenership or whatever whoever you work for. So this reporter and I don't even know who it was. He uh, it's at the Jalen Hurts Stanchion, and he says uh, to Jalen Hurts, and I quote. Uh, I got to admit, uh, I didn't think the Eagles would get to the Super Bowl with you as their quarterback. So I, I just wanted to tell you man to man, I'm sorry. <laughs> now, now, Hurts goes, well, Hurts goes, thank you. <laughs> now, let me ask you a question, uh, Darren. I, I'm waiting in on this. What is the relevance of of a reporter saying that to somebody? Like, Who gives a shit what that guy thinks? There is no
2: relevance. That's ridiculous. I don't care if that's Walter Cronkite. First
0: of all, you never say you're sorry to anybody. You never. If that was your opinion at the time, stand by your freaking opinion. If you're wrong, you're wrong. You don't have to say you're sorry. All right, let me give you a couple to Sirianni. I'll come back at the end of this segment with a Michael uh, Irvin discussion with Sirianni, which I think is pertinent to Eagle fans. But here we go to Sirianni. Um, and I think it was a female reporter, I don't know who it was, but uh maybe it was from afar. I don't know. Uh, uh, to Siriani, um, Nick, is this a must win game? <laughs> no, I go, what? He goes He goes like I'll, now to, to me, I go, if that was me, I go, Wait, are you kidding me with that question? No, seriously. Are you kidding are you serious? Like, why would you ask him? he went, Yeah. And, and and dismiss them, which is fine, and, and that's probably the, the classy way to answer. It. But I would get into the guy guy's head and
3: go, what, "What what?
0: do you expect a game by that question? No, it's not a must win game. We lose, we're going to be fine. Like, what kind of an idiot asks a question like that? All right, here we go. Um, this question, you know, it, it is the year twenty twenty three, right? It is. And it's 2023, right? So there, there are different parameters and what's the questions you can ask. There are little safeguards out there. Where you, you can't ask questions, certain questions. This guy goes to Siriani, what Eagles player would you not want to date your daughter? That's the only way you answer it. Uh, first of all, if the daughter is of dating age, it's an inappropriate question. It's such a sexist question. It's not even funny. But Sirianni goes, my daughter's five. And that's the way he answered it. Come on, what are we doing here? Uh, All right, Uh, Andy Reid. I tried to count how many food quips there were, but there always are with Andy Reid. He plays them up. Not a place in Kansas City. I don't like the barbecue. So here comes the food question. So Andy Reid was asked uh, if he uh, uh, had to decide on his favorite burger joint amongst, um, let's see, it was. Oh no! It was the question was start bench or cut of these three burger joints: Five Guys, In and Out Burger, Shake Shack. What do you think his answer was? Well, I like all the burgers. <laughs> he wasn't going to decide on one. He said he grew up eating In and Out burgers, but he likes them all equally. Right? That's what he's. That's what he's going to say. So I'll ask that question to you: Start bench cut. Five Guys Burger, In-N-Out Burger, Shake Shack. I've never had an In-N-Out
3: Burger.
2: Um, and I, I Just because Shake Shack is a business partner of mine, I'm going to go Shake Shack one, and then uh, whatever the second one was. Five Guys in. If I don't like Five Guys. Actually, Five Guys I do not like, so I'm going to go.
0: All right, that. so you're starting. So, you're going to start Shake Shack. Shake Shack. You're going to yeah. bench In-N-Out because you haven't had them. You're going to cut Five Guys. There you go. All right. Well, I'm starting in and out. I have had them, Uh, so I'll go in and out, and I'll I'll uh, I'll bench Shake Shack. I like them, and I I would cut Five Guys too. I just think Five Guys is too. I don't know. There's too much grease that's coming out.
2: Way too much grease. Exactly.
0: Yeah, you know, I I know it's supposed to be juicy and all that. I just don't like it. I like a tighter burger. Uh, Okay. Uh, Dallas Goddard was asked the question: What would you give up to win this game? Um. all right, you play along, but well, I wouldn't play along. Okay, come on, I'm not giving up anything to win this game. We're just going to go out and win. But he said he would give up technology. He would give up internet and the TV. Would you give up internet and the TV to have the Eagles win this game, win the Super Bowl, Dutch? For how long? Uh, for the year.
2: Uh,
0: <laughs> I I'm... The Internet and TV for a I... year.
2: I would give I could give up TV. I I mean I probably could. Although I couldn't watch any games. Well, that's the point. Therefore I couldn't do my job. So no, I wouldn't give it up. no
0: I would not. Okay. okay. I couldn't I can't work. Uh, uh All right. Um okay, now here's a question. This is this is what I'm talking about. You remember the the what was that guy that stern uh, uh stuttering John, right? Yes. or at least they used to have characters like that that would stumble into the the media day. Uh, this guy stumbled in. I don't know how he got in. I don't know what his credential was. He he said, um, he asked the question, do you think Jason Kelsey ever pinned his brother Travis down and farted on him? Now, a guy like that should be escorted completely off the premises, right? Is that funny?
2: No, I would like to know. My answer to these questions would be, how much did your media outlet pay to have you, to send you by plane across the country, set you up in a hotel room, which is all ridiculously overpriced this week, to have you come in here and ask me that question. That's
0: how I would answer. The ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Which reminds me of a question.
0: The last time the Eagles were in the uh, Super Bowl, uh, Dalshawn Jeffrey, was. uh, uh, this was the conversation. Um, Did you see the temperature for game day on Sunday? It's a dome stadium. Now, <laughs> Minnesota, Jeffrey says, yeah, we're playing indoors. So the question, the, the questioner thinking on his feet says, well, if you were outside, though, how would that affect it? <laughs> oh, my God, I can't. I can't take it. All right. Now, finally, we get to the Juju Smith-Schuster Fletcher Cox situation. and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm very disappointed in Fletcher Cox. Because Fletcher Cox, the subject of cheesesteaks, came up for Fletcher Cox. Now, come on, Fletcher. You've been in the city for a long time. At least play along, you dope. Fletcher Cox goes, uh, cheesesteaks aren't good at all. Right? Now, you can't say that. You can't say that in, in Philly. You-, you can't say cheesesteaks are not good at all. Even if you don't eat cheesesteaks, you're not really have an opinion on who, who has the best cheesesteak. You answer like that. But now, Juju Smith-Schuster... Gets involved with this and he says, Guy, I can be honest with you, I don't think the best cheeks, uh, cheese steaks are not even in Philly. <laughs> and then they get back to, to Andrew Siciliano and Maurice Jones Drew on the set NFL network and they go, He might be right. He's <laughs> yeah, not right. The key to a cheesesteak, we all know, is the roll and the Philly water, whether it's South Jersey, whether it's Philly, whether it's in this area. That makes the roll, the roll is so much important to the cheesesteak. Let's get our cheesesteak knowledge down here, Juju. Step off.
2: <laughs> so, by the way, Patrick Cox does order cheesesteaks. He orders from Marino's and Malika Hill all the time. I happen to know that for a fact.
0: Yeah, he, he said immediately day uh, that cheesesteaks aren't good. That's what he said. <laughs> Not good. Come on, man. Right. Come on, man. Okay. All right. Now, I want to get Michael Irvin's question in here to Nick Sirianni as we close uh, this uh, Mike Unleashed segment. Uh, Everyone walks around. You know, it's interesting. Deion Sanders is walking around too. Isn't he a head coach somewhere? What's he doing there? Concentrate on coaching the University of Colorado, man. What is up with that?
2: He's, you know, he's a hound, publicity hound. Mike, I feel like I, I live and coach in the the greatest uh, sports town in the, in America. Um, it means so much to everybody there. That's what you want, right? When you're a little kid playing in a Pee Wee football game, you're like, "Where's everybody? I want them to see us. I want to see. I want them to see everything that we have to offer them." Right? That's what you want. You know, you want your fans to love it. You want your fans to be there. You want them to be wearing green on Friday. You want them to be wearing green on Saturday. You want them to be throwing snowballs at Santa Claus. (laughs) You want that because that's what we want. We want to be able to put our, you know, our talents on display, and we're able to do that in the greatest sports town in America. I was able to go to a couple of Phillies games. I didn't get to go to the World Series, but a couple playoff games. I just love the fact that my kids are growing up in such a great sports town where football means so much because football means so much to me.
0: All right. There you go. That is uh, Nick Sarriani. Well said, except he didn't go. have to go with the snowballs of Santa Claus. He didn't have to do that. Now, maybe by putting that out there, you're trying to reduce it to nothing. But uh, I don't want to hear that ever again from anybody connected with this, t- this town and the sports in this town. I am just sick of it. And I'll tell you another thing I'm sick of as we close out Mike Unleashed I've had enough of the Kelsey brothers. I've had enough of the, of the storyline, the Kelsey brothers and the parents and the cookies. And I, and I know it's a cute story, but I knew I was going to be bombarded with it. And I'm bombarded with it. And I'm glad that we're not going to hear it anymore as we walk this up to the uh, the Super Bowl on, uh, on Sunday. Uh, okay, I believe that's going to conclude. The podcast for today, the Mike Misnelli Podcast, thanks everybody for listening. We hope you enjoyed the analysis of the Super Bowl teams, Andrew Brandt, uh, Mike Unleashed, and we got much more planned for the rest of the week, including a conversation with one Merrill Reese that is coming up, so stay tuned for the Mike Misnelli Podcast as we walk you in to the Super Bowl. Thanks so much for listening. Again, the great people, Bet Rivers. Download the app. You can make all kinds of interesting proposition bets. And you can stay tuned for later in the week when they release my Bet Rivers Mike Missinelli parlay. Three bets that I think if you group them together, you get good odds on them. You get a plus odds on them. I believe it's a plus 425 if you make all three plays and they come through. So hopefully you do that. Get in touch with me, mike at mikemiss.com. Email. Check me out on Twitter. Mike missed two five. Don't forget you want a shout out. Go to cameo.com. I'll give you a personalized shout out for you and yours, especially coming up on Valentine's Day. I will give uh, your lady a message of love from you. Darren, are we, are we completed today? Anything
2: else? One just one storyline, I don't think it's getting enough play, actually. You mentioned how the Kelsey Brothers story is getting overplayed. The fact that both of these head coaches were fired by the other organization that they're facing in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and I'll
0: say one thing, and I say this on Twitter. Sirianni didn't like the fact that he was dismissed. He's made some comments about it that it really hurt him. He had met his wife there. They were getting They were trying to settle in Kansas City. She's from Kansas City. A.D.B. comes in, and he took David Culley with him and met that uh, uh, Sirianni is out. There's no question in my mind that that's an extra motivating factor for Sirianni. I think everybody respects Andy Reid. I think Sirianni wants to kick his ass. And you know why? Because he's Italian. And Italians, Darren, as you know, they hold grudges. They hold grudges. And that's truer than true. And so that's a (laughs) subplot for my man. He got snubbed by Andy. I would love for him at the end of the day, he goes, See that, big boy? You should have kept me. All right, everybody have a great rest of the night. We will touch base with you shortly with another great Mike Missanelli podcast. Thanks for listening. Go to the Mike Missinelli podcast at any podcast network and subscribe to it for free. It'll come right to you. Take care, everybody. We'll talk to you later.
1: Thanks for listening to the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.